While you're still standing, if you'll find in your Bibles, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35, and we'll read here to the end of chapter 18 in the Gospel of Luke. As you're finding that, you might remember that verses 31 through 34 were taken up on Good Friday uh, this year. Uh, So you can go back to listen uh, to that if you desire, but uh, we come in now at verse uh, 35. Let me read God's word for us from the Gospel of Luke. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Lord, as your word is opened, uh, read, and now preached, uh, we pray that by your spirit, our eyes would be opened and attentive uh, to see Jesus Christ and his gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congenital cataracts, bilateral, irreparable. Can you see this? Ask the doctors. Can you see this? They ask. Marie Lore uh, will not see anything for the rest of her life. Spaces she once knew as familiar, the four-room flat that she shares with her father, The little tree-lined square at the end of her street had become labyrinths bristling with hazards. Drawers are never where they should be. A glass of water is too near, too far. Her fingers too big, always too big. What is blindness? Where there should be a wall, her hands find nothing. Where there should be nothing, a table leg gouges her shin. Cars growl in the streets, leaves whisper in the sky. Blood rustles through her inner ears. In the stairwell, in the kitchen, even beside her bed, grown-up voices speak of despair. Poor child, they say. Poor Montessor LeBlanc, they say of her father. He hasn't had an easy road, you know. And now this, it's like they're cursed, they say. Look at her, look at him. He ought to send her away. This fictional account from a book called All the Light We Cannot See uh, captures, I think, a, a bit of what it's like, especially for someone who uh, wasn't born blind, but who at some point in their life lost their sight. Uh, they knew what seeing was like, and, and they lose their sight. And, and, and for anyone who's experienced, whether sight or another uh, sensation or, or ability of the body that uh, was never there or was lost at some point, perhaps you can resonate uh, with this story. But we often think, as the characters in the story do, you know, you know how poor this, this person who's blind. Helen Keller uh, was once asked, isn't it terrible to be blind? Someone asked her. And she responded by saying, better to be blind and to see with your heart than to have two eyes, two good eyes, and see nothing. As we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, it's incredible that over and over again, 
uh, Jesus and, and, and Luke through him wants us to see that it's those whose bodies perhaps don't function at, at quote, a normal level who tend to be the ones who run to Jesus. Uh, it's uh, those who um, uh, are laden with demons who come to him and, and find help. Or here it's those whose eyes don't function well that see Jesus in a way uh, that the rulers, the Pharisees, uh, others who have two good eyes and so much else, quote, going for them, don't see. And so we're going to see this blind man, and it's incredible what he sees even before he sees. He, he does get literal sight restored to him in the story, but even before that, he sees Jesus for who he is. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would see Jesus uh, for who he is. I was struck this week that this is the last miracle story in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke has been bombarding us with example after example of Jesus restoring sight to the blind, driving out demons, uh, healing bodies that don't work. And these were all meant to be signposts pointing to who Jesus was and who he could be for you. And so don't miss this last chance to see such a miracle and such a Savior. Let's look then. We'll follow the path of the story and just very simply... Uh, see, follow, praise. That's what I hope that you do today and that I do in my heart, to see Jesus, to follow him, and to praise him. Number one then, to see him. And we'll we'll look at the whole passage here. Uh, Jesus draws near to uh, Jericho. Uh, This would have been northeast of Jerusalem. Uh, You remember, of course, that Jesus, since chapter 9, has been uh, making his way to Jerusalem. He's gone through Samaria. He's gone through Judea, these other areas north of Jerusalem. He's been making his way down. Luke, of all the gospel uh, uh, narrators, sort of draw out and emphasize the fact that he is going to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem. He's calling people to follow him to the cross. Some get it, some don't, and yet he goes steadfast immovable, heading to Jerusalem. And here he's getting close. Um, he's getting close. He's getting to Jericho, which is very close. We'll see in a, in a couple weeks, he'll, he'll be with Zacchaeus. And then by the end of chapter 19, we're at the triumphal entry in, in Luke chapter 19. And for the rest of our study of Luke, we'll be in that last week of Jesus' life as we walk with him in a very zoomed in fashion to the cross and to the resurrection. And so this is really the, the climax of this travel narrative as he comes to Jericho, and uh, Luke and Jesus aren't satisfied with, with the number of examples have, that have been given of, of, of the blind, uh, the lame, the outcasts being the ones who find Jesus. Here we have a blind beggar sitting at the roadside, and of course he hears a crowd going by. He can't see, but he, he hears the commotion and asks, who is this? What's going on? And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so what does this man see even before he sees? He, he sees Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. It's interesting, this title given to Jesus uh, here at this point in the gospel. Uh, in one sense, I think Luke is bookending his gospel here because back in chapter 4, it's actually one of the demons being driven out um, uh, I believe in Luke, the first miracle, one of the first. And he says, ha, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Right? It's the demons who know who Jesus is. They just hate him, but they know. They know he's the Holy One of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and then at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, as, as Jesus is walking along with the disciples who don't recognize him, 
Um, uh, and, and he's asking them, they say, uh, these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and before God and all the people. And so here this blind man sees this Jesus. He, he knows where he's from. Uh, he, he's, he, he's heard of the things that he's done, uh, but he knows that this is the Jesus he wants to call out to. And that's where it goes in verse 38, uh, to a different title, Son of David. He sees Jesus of Nazareth. He sees Jesus, the Son of David. He cries out. This is a, it would be a loud cry. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. A Son of David. It's interesting. This blind man is, is the only one that I can find in the Gospel of Luke or in the book of Acts written by Luke who uses this, this, this exact term, Son of David. Um, but Luke isn't unfamiliar with this theme. I mean, right at the beginning of chapter 1, or verse 32 of chapter 1, uh, it says, He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Right? So they're implicitly a son of David. Uh, or famously, as we know from uh, Advent, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And what are we going to see by the end of chapter 19? But the king of kings coming into Jerusalem. And people's expectations in verse 11, we'll see of chapter 19, uh, they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. There's, there's excitement around who Jesus is, perhaps a, a misplaced expectation. And yet this man, uh, whatever else he understands about Jesus of Nazareth, he says, this is the son of David, the Messiah, of the chosen one. As one commentator says, his words here, son of David, have mercy on me, aren't just a statement. They're, they're a confession of faith. Uh, the words themselves show faith. He knows who Jesus is. He's calling out to the king of kings. And we see this then as, as Jesus stops. You know, the, the disciples and, and the crowd, they, they try to silence the man. You know, they think he's sort of getting in the way, disturbing what Jesus is trying to do as he's marching to Jerusalem. Uh, it's no accident that just a few verses before this, the children are trying to come to Jesus and the disciples are like, I don't know, that's going to be a distraction. Uh, and, 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 and Jesus similarly rebukes the disciples there. Here he stops, the whole entourage stops. And Jesus very tenderly comes up to the man and says, what do you want me to do for you? What a wonderful question for Jesus to ask, right? He's not playing games with the man. He knows uh, that the man would like to recover his sight, and, and yet he's drawing out um, faith from the man who would ask, who says, Lord, let me recover my sight. Or literally, Lord, let me see. Let me see. Uh, he, so we've seen Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the son of David, and now this blind man calls him Lord. Lord, God, the one who's able to heal, able to save. You, you don't cry out, Son of David, even as the disciples are trying to silence you and you just keep crying out, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Lord who can actually save you and heal you. And so this man sees Jesus for who he is, and and therefore he sees his own need, and therefore he cries out. He cries out in faith, in faith. Uh, And it's interesting, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. You know, does he mean that the man's faith itself has healed him? That his faith was strong enough or had enough power in and of itself to do the healing? We would say, of course not, looking at other scriptures. B.B. Warfield, 
There's a wonderful author who puts it this way. It's not even faith, strictly speaking, that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith or the attitude of faith or the nature of faith or the strength of faith, but in the object of faith, in Christ himself. Or as Martin Luther explains it, there's a difference between faith which believes what is said of God is true and faith which throws itself on God. That's the kind of faith this man had. He, he, he might not have been able to articulate if someone said, well, what do you mean by the son of David? You know, can you show us in the Old Testament? What does that mean? I, I don't know how full of an answer he could have given. But he saw Jesus, he knew his need, and he threw himself on Jesus in faith, knowing this is the man and he is passing by and this is my chance. <laughs> I'm going to throw myself on him in faith. Though this man was blind, as one author has said, he had 20-20 vision when it came to his spiritual vision of who Jesus was. How about you? When, when we read that passage, do you see this Jesus? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a real, fully man, a born, raised, o- obeyed in our place. Uh, do you see this son of David, this Messiah, this chosen one, the Christ of God? in a way that even if people tried to silence you, you would keep crying out to him for help. And if they said, why do you keep crying out for help? You would say, because that's where my help is found. It's, it's nowhere else. Without this Jesus, I die. Without this Jesus, I'm guilty before a holy God. I pray that that would be true of you, even if it wasn't true when you walked in this morning, that you would throw yourself in faith on this Jesus who's able to bear you up. And if you belong to Jesus when you walked in today, I pray that you'd be reminded the joy that comes when you remember, oh, this is the Jesus I serve. This is who he is, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, my Lord and my God. So would you see him? And number two, then, would you follow him? Would you follow him? It's it's almost a throwaway line in verse 43. Uh, Jesus heals the man. He says, your faith is has made you well. He says, recover your sight. Literally one word, see, a command, see, and he sees. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. If, if, if you've been paying attention in this section of Luke chapter 18, those words should jump out to you. Uh, or even this whole travel narrative, because what have we said? Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, and he keeps saying, follow me, follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. And some are following him, but many are not. And what did we just see last week? But the rich ruler who comes to Jesus, who has seemingly good questions to ask. He seems to want to follow. And yet when Jesus says, give all that you have and come, follow me, he gives the invitation. The the hand is out. And the man, when he heard these things, became very sad, for he was extremely rich and he presumably doesn't follow. He walks away. And what is Luke trying to tell us? But here's this blind beggar who the disciples wanted to dismiss. And he is healed and he follows Jesus. He becomes the disciple of Jesus. Unlike the Pharisee earlier uh, in in Luke chapter 18 who sort of prays to himself and misses the whole boat. Uh, But very much like the children in verses 15 through 17 who, who are said to enter the kingdom of God. And all who would enter, enter like children uh, who follow Jesus. So here this man enters the kingdom and he follows Jesus, presumably uh, on his way to Jerusalem, but even more so. 
Because when Jesus says your faith has made you well, it's, it's the same word for save that we'll see ne- next, uh, in the next couple of weeks. I, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, it can speak of the spiritual reality of being saved or the physical reality, being healed. Your faith has made you well. And I think Jesus means both here. This man is saved, healed, and he follows a Jesus. And so again, we'll say this is, this is the last of these types of miracles in the Gospel of Luke. I sort of went back, and by my count, there's 14 passages where Jesus heals somebody or drives out a demon. Uh, but that's not counting the summary passages where it just says that he healed many people. Um, so we can't really uh, count those. But remember in Luke 7 when John's disciples came, they said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In other words, they're kind of puzzling after what this blind man knows. Are you the son of David? Are you our Lord? Who, or should we look for another? Jesus heals many people. And then he says, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. All along the Gospel of Luke and all the Gospels, miracles are, uh, we call them signs, often in Greek as well, because they're like a signpost. There were other blind men who were not healed by Jesus. But this man was healed in a way that would point it to who Jesus was. Uh, This blind man himself knew that there was a deeper reality that the opening of his eyes pointed to and to the opening of the eyes of his heart to see Jesus for who he really was. And so uh, my question for you is, if, if you've been in our church for any period of time, let's say on average maybe you've, you've seen six to eight of those 14 signs preached before you, put right before you to say, this is Jesus, this is what he does, he is mighty to save. And here is this last miracle uh, before the great miracle of the Gospel of Luke as, as Jesus dies and, and rises again. And, and, and the question is, if, if, if you don't see Jesus clearly here in a way that you want to fall down in faith to him, uh, what will? Uh, what if you were going down I-5 and every half mile there was a sign that said Medford, X number of miles, Medford, X number of miles, and then you just blew past the exit? And you said, well, I couldn't have known. No one told me. No, Luke has put before you. Jesus puts before you. This is who he is. He is mighty to save. Would you put your faith in him or be reminded of the great faith that you have in him? Follow him. Number three, praise. We see and we follow him and we praise him. It's, it's only fitting, right? And, and this man re- receives his sight He follows Jesus. He glorifies God. And even the people around, when they see it, they give praise to God. This is a a natural thing that we do when we receive good things from God, when he heals us, when he has made us well. And perhaps for you, he hasn't recovered sight for you. Perhaps your sight is even failing. Uh, But you know what it means. If you're a Christian, you know what it means when he says, your faith has made you well, because you've sung it as well with my soul. Uh, You know uh, that Jesus means you could point to many physical, many uh, amazing blessings in your life, but even those are just signposts to his steadfast love that's from everlasting to everlasting, that's ever upon you in life or in death. You could say it is well with my soul. 
And if you receive that, praise is, uh, is the immediate response and the lifelong response. And we live a life of praise. So as we think of applying this, I wanted to just linger on Jesus' question. When he, when he stops, and I'm always struck by, by the intimacy with, with which Jesus, you know, he's with a crowd, this man is crying out for help, and Jesus stops the whole parade and, and goes up. He doesn't sort of just heal him and keep going. He engages with the man and says, what do you want me to do for you? He's calling out faith in the man. What if Jesus asked you that question? What do you want me to do for you? Would your, would your sense of piety make you a little sheepish? <laughs> oh, well, Jesus, you've, you've already done everything for me. So I, it, it, it's not for me to ask of you. Whatever you want to do, you do it. That's a good prayer as far as it goes. But Jesus asks that. Jesus is interceding for us. Uh, he knows what we need before we ask it. Um, he's, he's not flattered by false piety. He's, he wants believers who throw themselves in faith on him, who cry out like the man, Son of David, have mercy on me. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Uh, do you see how that's glorifying to him? Because in the act of asking, you are proclaiming, you're my Savior. You can do it. You can do what I need that I can't do. And of course, your will be done. Of course, if what I'm asking is not good, of course. But I want to encourage you as believers to, as our catechism says, to to lift up your desires unto him for things agreeable to his will. Ask of him in a way that glorifies him because you're asking knowing that he's the powerful one. He is your Lord and your Savior. And then follow him, praise him as a way of life. You know, I was, I was, when I was in college, I, um, I spent a little time learning a, a little bit of American Sign Language, and I wish it stuck more. But uh, for one of your assignments, you were to go uh, somewhere uh, where, um, where a deaf community was gathering and engage in some way. So whether it was a group or... Um, a club or something, and so I had the opportunity to find a church that offered um, a deaf Bible study, and so I was able to go there, and um, uh, I probably made a fool of myself because I think I said, I think I said, I'm Jesus instead of I'm a Christian, um, but they rolled with it, um, and, but I was, what I was really struck by was um, there was two individuals who, who were not just blind, but were deaf, um, and they knew sign language, and, and so when you would speak to them, you would, you would sign, and they would place their hands upon your hands. And just physically, they would uh, be able to read uh, what is meant to be a visual medium of sign language um, and, and, and respond uh, in kind. Now, not only is that a testament to God has made us creatures that will communicate, <laughs> because we are creatures of community as he has made us. But uh, what a testament. Uh, here are those that easily society would, would look at and say, wait, blind and deaf? I mean, what a horrible life. What's going on? And yet, at least these two individuals knew their Savior. And they loved to speak about their Savior and to study his word. Uh, it's, it's, it, 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 it's often those that you would least expect that see him. And if you're a Christian, whether 
uh, you have any physical ailment at all, uh, your song, every Christian song, uh, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, uh, that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. Uh, He is the one who has opened our eyes to see him, and so we live a life of praise toward him. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, God, that... um, Through your spirit, we can see your word. We can understand it. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have saved us through Jesus Christ, that uh, though we clenched our eyes closed against him and against you, uh, you pried them open by your grace. I pray that our lives would would reflect the humility of of receiving grace upon grace, receiving ability to see. I pray that you would shape our prayers for our neighbors, whether here or elsewhere, uh, whose eyes have not been opened yet. I pray that they would, uh, that they, their eyes would open and that their lives would uh, become lives of praise uh, to the God who opened their eyes. And so I pray that you'd be at work in the midst of us uh, by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.